first Bible reading for this evening comes from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 to 20, which can be found on page 164 of the Pew Bibles. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. We'll continue from chapter 19, verses 1 to 13. When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he is giving you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Determine the distances involved and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of, those, one of these cities. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety, anyone who kills a neighbour unintentionally, without malice aforethought. For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbour to cut wood, and as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbour and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him even though he is not deserving of death, since he did it to his neighbour without malice aforethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he promised on oath to your ancestors and gives you the whole land he promised them because you carefully follow all these laws I commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to walk always in obedience to him, then you are to set aside three more cities. Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance, and so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. But if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbour, and then flees to one of these cities, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and be handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Show no pity, you must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. We're going to continue reading from Deuteronomy 24, verses 10 to 22. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbour, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbour to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you 
and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Do not deprive the foreigner or fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well read, my friends. Thank you for that. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm your pastor here at 6 p.m., and it's a joy to be here with you. Um, tonight, we are looking at justice. Justice. Um, something that we take for granted for those of us who are privileged and blessed, which I think a lot of us in this room are something that we easily forget about, but something that, on the other hand, is desperately craved and called out for by those who suffer injustice. Justice is is bringing a punishment and an end to wrongdoing in a world that is broken, but equally it's to lift up those who have been left behind and those who are hurting and, and vulnerable Justice just runs through the pages of Scripture. And so I love that in our modern day, justice seems to be coming more and more onto the agenda. I don't know if you've noticed this, particularly with the younger generation, it feels like justice is something that we want to champion. And I love it. I love that we care about ending racism, whether it's in our society or within our systems. I love that that's on the agenda right now. I love that we want to look at those countries globally that are oppressing their people and have a system where people are being crushed and and held down because that's not the way of Jesus. I love that work of compassion that's looking upon those that no one else is looking upon to love them with just the basic needs, to release them from poverty in Jesus' name. How beautiful is that? I love justice and I don't love it because I associate with that younger generation. That's not why. I love it because that's the heartbeat of Scripture. I love it because justice is a part of the God that we worship. I love it because justice is absolutely essential. But here's the tricky thing. Um, In all of this beauty of justice being championed in our modern society, we we encounter a bit of an irony. I think it's this, that, that actually Christians are beginning to be thought of not as just people, but as unjust people. Do you know what I mean by that? If you were to talk to someone 10, 20, 30 years ago about what do you think about Christians, you would think, well, they're kind of boring. Um, They love their rules and doing the right thing. They generally are morally upright people. They tend to be kind. They're good. You know, I don't want to become one, but they're good. That's that's kind of the language that you might have as you talk to someone about Christianity. But what's the, the language that you get today? Well, Christians are outdated. They're bigoted. 
the way that they treat the marginalized and the minorities is wrong. And if everything that I've said is true, that the justice is in, in the heartbeat of Scripture and is the person of God, doesn't that break your heart a little bit? Doesn't it break your heart that Christians would have the reputation not only of just like ignoring justice, but of being unjust? Because I think that represents God poorly. Now, we need to acknowledge that there are going to be moments where we're called unjust as Christians simply because we're remaining faithful to Scripture. Um, There are going to be moments where we need to stand firm, where the, the, the tides of our culture are moving towards a subjective morality. It shifts, it changes. It's dependent upon who has the loudest voice at the time. We need to not be moved by those tides. We need to stand firm in what God has taught. There are going to be moments where we need to wear that that reputation of injustice. That's going to be a thing. But I think a big part of why we have this reputation of being unjust is because we're known for the wrong things. I don't want to try and name all those things that we care more about than justice. But if you were to spend any time looking at the early church, the church that was birthed right after Jesus died, rose again and went to be with his father in heaven. If you looked at anything about that church, you would see that justice just ran through the, the veins of that church. You know, the Roman Empire, they hated the Christians. They were, they were doing weird things and they were pulling people away from the known religions of the time. But one thing that they could never accuse Christians of was that they didn't care. And they didn't love those who desperately needed it. In fact, they counted upon it. They counted upon Christians to step in and to look after those people who needed it most. It was, it, there's, uh, sorry, there are accounts of a moment where um, a plague is sweeping through the known world and people are fleeing to get to safety, but Christians stayed behind simply so they could minister to those that no one else would minister to. Wouldn't that be beautiful if that was the reputation of Christianity today? That we would have people, be a people that forsake so much of ourselves, our own health and our own safety to love those who desperately need it, to bring justice to the vulnerable. Perhaps we're majoring on the wrong things. Yes, let's stand, let's stand for truth. Let's stand for the Bible. But when we're accused of injustice, let's just love deeper. Let's lean in more to what it means to live for Christ with authenticity. And let's just be the people that God's calling us to be. Justice is the heartbeat of Scripture. It's there and it shines out of Deuteronomy. So you're going to want to have your Bible open in front of you right now. If you haven't got it, do that. Flip it open. I'd love to hear that, you know, that beautiful sound of pages turning. It's music to a preacher's ear. I love that. Deuteronomy, um, we're looking at a lot, of, a lot of Deuteronomy. We're going to be jumping around a bit. We're looking effectively at Deuteronomy 12 all the way through 26. What are we looking at there? We're looking at a man named Moses standing on the edge of the promised land that God has offered to give the people of Israel. He's 120 years old. Can you imagine being a preacher at 120 years old? You can barely get up the stairs. But this man is preaching a storm, right? And what is he teaching these people? Well, he knows that he's about to die. And so he's, these are the final words that God has given him to pass along to the people of Israel as they start a whole new way of life in the promised land. Really, this is going to be the moment that establishes what does Israel look like when they become a nation. If they were to take their, you know, their step from the nations around them, what that would look like would be elevating leaders and wealthy and the influential and crushing those below them. That's, that's the reputation of the nations around them. That's the expectation of what Israel should look like. But Moses has a completely different way of bringing them forward. What is that way? It's a way of justice. Why? 
because God is a just God and he calls for a just people. I'll say it again, very simple. That's the principle that's just gonna run through tonight. God is a just God and he calls for a just people. So we're gonna look through some of the specifics. There's two things I think that just scream out about what justice is to look like for Israel. The first one is that they're to have a fair justice system. And the second one is that they're to have concern for the vulnerable and for the poor. And I want to suggest, we'll get to it, but we might not want to adopt some of these practices from Deuteronomy. Some of them are really bizarre and a bit weird, but those two principles are going to shine through for Christian people as well. We care about having a fair justice system and concern for the vulnerable and the poor. So turn with me to chapter 16, verse 18, that first reading that Addie read brilliantly. Here's what Moses says to the people of Israel. He says, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you and they shall judge the people fairly. Now you and I just think that's a no brainer because we know about justice systems, right? Every society that we consider to be meaningful has a justice system, but this is groundbreaking. This is culture shaking. This is is an enormous provision from God. Why? Because these judges are to be in, did you notice that? Every town. Every town was to have these people who could offer justice. So it's not just the high and the mighty and the wealthy and the influential who could have their cases heard. No, it's, it's the marginalized and the poor. It's the people who actually probably need their case to be heard more than anyone else. So Moses says, appoint these judges in every town. It comes to the point where there's a judge in big towns at every gate so that you knew you could go and you could have your case heard. Israel was to be a place of justice. Now, don't hear judge and hear, um, you know, white wig with a gavel being like, guilty, you know, like that, that's part of it. But the judge here had a, a much bigger role. Um, the judge was kind of like a political role. It, it was a judicial role, kind of like the judge with the wig, but equally it was kind of like a law enforcement role. It was those sorts of three things woven together and it was instituted so that the people of Israel might champion justice. Why? Because their God is a just God. Turn over with me to chapter 19. We're going to see a couple of examples of what this justice looks like in their justice system. Um, 19 verses 1 to 13, um, there's this kind of bizarre example um, from verse 4 onwards where it's like, hey, imagine you're out in the forest. You're just having a good time. You know, you and your buddy are just chopping some firewood because you know the winter's coming and you just, you're just smacking the wood. You're not really paying attention and boom, the head of your axe flies off and kills your best friend. Right? Like that's the kind of stipulations that Deuteronomy covers. Like if it's nothing but comprehensive, right? Like it really gets to the, the details. But, but imagine that situation. You know, you had no intention of murdering this person. In fact, we would describe it as manslaughter. Well, Moses wants to provide a stipulation for that because he wants to make sure that justice is served here. He wants to make sure that there is a fair justice system so that wrongdoing is rightfully punished but equally that the vulnerable are looked after. Well, who's vulnerable in this situation? Well, it's the person whose axe head flew off and killed their best friend. Why? Because in any other society around them, their family and friends are coming to get them, right? They're going to take justice into their own hands and they're going to kill this man. But Moses says um, that he wants to set aside these three cities. Look with me, verse two. Set aside for yourselves three cities and the land your God is giving you to possess. And these cities are, verse three, um, so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of these cities. 
Now, it's very specific, very contextual, but can you see that Moses and God through Moses is bringing about this system to make sure that justice is done and done well because God is a just God and he calls for a just people. Scan down with me and look at verse 14. Again, very specific, but very beautiful in, in the context. Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Just making sure that, that no one's doing anything shady, making sure that they're just slowly moving that gate. It's like when your neighbor just builds a new fence and it turns out they've stolen half of your property. Making sure none of that shady stuff is happening because justice matters. Now, if you were to read through all of Deuteronomy 12, through 26, I think what you would notice is that these 10 commandments which were given to Israel back at Mount Sinai in Exodus, reaffirmed by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is really just the 10 commandments being fleshed out in real time in their historical context. Feels a bit weird to us because we're not ancient Near Eastern Israelites, but it's, it's coming to life there. It's, it's a fair justice system, but equally, it's a concern for the vulnerable. Flick over to chapter 24. And I think this is so important. Um, we think of justice so much in terms of a trial and someone being sentenced to a, a judgment. But look at this, J- chapter 24, verse 10. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbor to whom you're making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbors may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Just, just feel that for a minute. You go to the bank, you, you take out a loan. It turns out you default on the loan. And so the, the bank comes to collect your property. But as they're leaving, they say, hey, um, do you have somewhere to sleep? Do you have enough warm clothes? Look, hey, hey, Jimmy, can we bring out the jackets? The, the bank's just got all this stuff to make sure that anyone who's, who's in being fallen into some sort of poverty-stricken state can be looked after. Absolutely not. Anyone in the bank world right now, feel free to take that as some wisdom, right? Like stock up on some jumpers, right? But it's, it's absurd to think of this. But God cares about people even when they've stuffed it up themselves. Perhaps you've been the reason you've defaulted on your loan. But if you're poor, God still cares for you. I love that about Israel, that they want to look after a person in that situation. Verse 14, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you'll be guilty of sin. First thing to notice is if they're poor, they're counting on it. So we care about these people who won't have anything to eat otherwise. But notice that it also speaks to the foreigner, that in in ancient Israel, if you were a foreigner, you wouldn't have had the same rights and recognition that the rest of the people around you. God cares about those people. And then verse 17, here's here's the principle that I think really describes the, the heart of God's justice in this world for the vulnerable. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Look upon those who cannot look after themselves and make sure you care for them. The fatherless who don't have a father to provide for them. The widow who's lost her husband who is the staple income of their household. The foreigner who perhaps is being treated marginally in a society that's so um, ethnically centered. 
Look after these people. Look after the orphan. Look after the fatherless. This is the principle. Justice means that you love those who desperately need the love of God. And those, those principles just run through. How do we interpret Deuteronomy? Well, I'm not suggesting that we, like chapter 22, have a rule about what we do when we run into a bird's nest on the pathway. If you're wondering, chapter 22, verse 7 and 8, you're allowed to take the eggs, but don't mess with the mother, right? Like very specific, weird laws that perhaps you and I wouldn't fit into our historical context. What do we do with all of this? Well, we can see the principles that run through it, but we need to understand that there's a different historical context and a different theological context. The historical context, we are not a Christian nation living in a Christian society with a Christian government with a legislated set of laws like Deuteronomy. That's not how we operate. The people of God are the people of every tribe, every nation, every language, all sorts of social classes being joined together, dispersed across the whole world. We don't want to centralize and create a justice system that represents the gospel. No, but we need to be a people of justice who reflect the gospel in that, right? Does that make sense? We're not, we're not applying Deuteronomy word for word, but we're seeing that the God of ages Look at the title of our series, The God of the Ages, the one who is unchanging. He is the one who stands behind Deuteronomy. He is the the God of justice and he's calling for his people to be a just people. And that's totally true today. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the only reason you would ever need justice is if there was injustice to be dealt with. That hasn't changed since Deuteronomy. We still live in a broken world. Sin is rampant in the heart of individuals, in structures, in nations, in governments. It's everywhere. There is an enormous amount of work to be done. There are so many children that we could sponsor through compassion because they don't have enough. If we call ourselves the people of God, we call ourselves the people of justice. And we need to be willing to step into that. And Deuteronomy really just needs to drive us forward to the person of Jesus. Um, Deuteronomy, we, we interpret it as this historical moment that Israel is different from us. We understand that theologically, we're not under an old covenant. We're actually under a new covenant. We're under the grace of Jesus who, who changes everything. He's still the same God, the God of justice, but he leads us in a new way. And what do we see in Jesus? Well, Jesus embodies justice in every corner of his being. In fact, he sat under this covenant and followed every single one of those obscure specific rules. He did it so that you and I wouldn't have to because he knew that we'd stuff it up. He sat in this space where he fulfilled all justice because he cares deeply about justice. John chapter four, Jesus speaks with this woman by the well. She's a Samaritan woman. He knows that she's had five husbands and the man that she's with right now is not her husband. And in that society, that is just an absolute scandal. She's at the well in the middle of the day because she wants to avoid the scrutiny of all the other women. And Jesus just stops and in just great compassion loves this woman to the point that he offers her living water that will satisfy and quench her soul. That's the Jesus of justice. John 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And he's got got 5,000 men in front of him, which presumably means just as many, if not more women and children there as well. A whole host of people. And, and the disciples look upon these people, they're like, Jesus, just get rid of them. They're hungry. We can't afford this. But Jesus looks upon them with the compassion of the God of justice who cares about the vulnerable. So he takes a loaf of bread and some fish 
And he makes sure everyone's got enough to eat. In fact, in abundance, where we fill up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. That's our Jesus of justice, caring for the vulnerable. Do you notice the kinds of people that Jesus heals? The, the, the people that he drives demons out of, those who find themselves in horrible spaces in life, Jesus cares for them. He has compassion and that compassion is the God of justice. And this is, I think, something we need to hear. This is gonna be a bit of a strong word, but Jesus' strongest words to those who called themselves religious and spiritual, here's Matthew 23, 23. Let me just read it to you and let it sit with you. He says, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, "'you hypocrites. "'You give a tenth of your spices, "'mint, dill, and cumin, "'but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, "'justice, mercy, and faithfulness. "'You should have practiced the latter "'without neglecting the former.'" Potentially, we as Christians are known for the wrong things. We're spiritual. We worship the Lord. We care a lot about the Bible, We want to unpack that well. We want to preach well. We want to do good things in the Bible. Um, We want to make sure that we have great services. We want to make sure we have ministries that, you know, minister to all the people within our church. But are we a people of justice? Are we neglecting the matters, the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness because we're too busy being religious? Jesus has a strong word for us. But most importantly, I want you to see that as you sit with that, just like weighing on your shoulders, man, maybe I'm not the person that I need to be. You need to see that Jesus doesn't just embody justice, he satisfies justice. Um, We love to talk about the mercy of God and it's good, we do. um, Because Jesus, the whole message of the gospel is that Jesus died to set you free from your sin, to give you eternal life, to bring you relationship with your father in heaven. And all of that is beautiful. But do you notice the way that God brings mercy? He steps into the world in the form of a man. He gets abused, mocked, scorned. He gets nailed to a cross. He bleeds and dies. Like if I was going to choose to save people, that's not how I'd do it. Why would he go through all of that? Because justice matters. We can't overlook the sinfulness of humanity. And so, so some of us are sitting here being like, yeah, let's bring on the justice. But when we actually look at the inner workings of our heart, we realize that justice coming is not good news for us. But Jesus looks upon us even in our brokenness and says, I will save them and I will not neglect justice. So he brings mercy and justice together in that moment beautifully on the cross where he pays every debt with the the blood that's just streaming down his, his hands and his legs. And at the same moment as he satisfies the justice that you and I desperately don't want to come, he offers us mercy and forgiveness. That's how much justice matters, that Christ would die The holy God cannot let injustice reign. And so we don't leave the story there. The gospel doesn't just proclaim to you that you've been saved from your sin. There's gonna be a day when Jesus returns. It's Philippians chapter two. Jesus has gone to be with his father, but he's gonna come back. And guess what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that moment when Jesus returns, he's not gonna pay for justice on the cross. He's gonna bring justice to a broken world. For those of us who are sitting right now in faith in Jesus, we know that we've been rescued. Our justice is not gonna be coming to us as we deserve. But for the world that doesn't know Jesus, they will have to bring an account of everything that they've done. And that is good news for the vulnerable. That is good news for the oppressed. 
That is good news for the family that's lost someone because they've been murdered or kidnapped. That is good news for the person that's toiled under poverty for their entire life because the government above them does not care for them. When you're privileged, you fear justice because you know you've done wrong. But when you're vulnerable, you cry out for justice because you desperately need it. And that is Jesus. He will bring justice back. Justice matters. Justice matters. God is a God of justice. He's also a God of mercy. And so we get to know that even though we deserve the just punishment of God, we can walk away completely and utterly free. Let's never lose that. That's the the basis of who we are as a church. But let's not move away from the justice when we come to mercy. Because if that is who Jesus is, if that is the God of Deuteronomy who has all of these specific and weird regulations for Israel, he calls us to a similar way of justice, to care for the vulnerable, to care for the oppressed, to care for the orphan, to care for the widow. Let's let that be what we're known for, not for our arguing, not for our theological distinctives. Let's be a people known for the justice of Jesus. Um, we need the Holy Spirit to fill us with his power to be able to do that. So I'm going to pray, and the band's going to jump up, and we're going to worship him. Father Almighty, um, the only reason we, we can sit here and talk to you like this is because you have done the hard work of satisfying justice. Thank you that even though we don't deserve it, you loved us through your son Jesus, that he took upon himself our sin, our injustice, and he paid it all. Lord, because of that, would you please pour out your Holy Spirit in abundance upon us, 6 p.m. Neutral Bay, to be a community of justice, to step in where those are in need, to to give freely and generously from what we have because we know we've been privileged, to, to embody the heartbeat that you have, God, because we're your people. Lord, we know that we can't do that ourselves. We can't will ourselves to be this wonderful community that we long to be, but by your power, By your spirit, you'll do that. And so we call upon you, God. Would you come now in power? Would you make us a just community? Would you help us to to reflect Jesus in everything that we do? We pray it all in his name. Amen.